0: That was some awesome praise and worship there. Thank you, Sandra and Rod. <laughs> Psalm 55, verse 22, if you wanted to turn there real quick. Thanks again for this coaster. Psalm 55, 22. How many of you uh, in the past have had situations in your life where you just saw it was definitely God who took care of you and took you through it? Amen. Yeah. It's, uh, God was faithful to that and, and through that, and it's amazing how quickly we can forget that God takes care of us and everything. I want to kind of let you know kind of where I get, and you know, you get to get to—I hate to say it—get to know your way around the Bible and theology and just church and stuff. And how many of you know it can become kind of really too common sometimes for us? And for me, it's interesting what starts to happen for for me and where God is revealing himself to me is God is revealing himself to me in the little things and um, how God will show up. And when you ask God's help in everything, I, I really challenge you this week to say, God, help me with this. And it might be the dumbest thing in the world to you in a moment where you say, you know what? I could take care of this. I can do it. But I really want you to invite God into your situation. I don't want you just to invite yourself, God into the situations where you're facing this big, huge situation financially or that. I want you to invite God into the little things. Because if God can't be Lord of the little things in your life, He definitely won't be Lord of the big things in your life. And He must start in those small areas in order for Him to rule in our lives. But in Psalm 55, 22, before I had gone to Dallas with a family, I had opened up this verse and I was sitting... And my back porch area, got a little seat there, and uh, I read this verse in Psalm 55, 22, give your burdens to the Lord, and He will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and to fall. And I thought about that wonderful word, to take care of. It means to maintain, it means to nourish, it means to provide food, to bear, to hold up, protect, support, defend. It means to hold. And as I was sitting there reading that, pondering that, on the back porch one morning, I've got this lilac bush to the left of me, and we got all these crazy sparrows or whatever they are. And our bird feeder, they just tear up the bird feeder. And I was sitting there looking at it, and I noticed that little sparrow was just sitting in the branches, almost completely hidden there in that moment. And I remember planting that lilac bush when it was really small. And now it's big, and it's providing all this covering. I'm like, Lord, I just thought of that verse immediately, how your eye is on the sparrow, how much more is his, how much more is he on, on us and take well, he's, if he's going to take care of those birds? How much more important than I am than that that silly little bird over there? I want you to know God will take care of you. Turn to someone and say, "God's going to take care of you." Simple thing, but we forget it. We studied right now. I wanted to, to dive into something that kind of dovetails into that. It's the Feast of Shelters in the Jewish ceremonies, one of the hall, uh, the fall festivals that they celebrate is the uh, Feast of Shelters. And uh, it's not one that everyone knows. It's not one of the higher, more powerful ones, if you will, like Hanukkah or something like that, um, or the Passover. But the Feast of Shelters is very important because it celebrates the harvest and God taking care of the children of Israel. And what people were commanded to do during the seven days of feast is they were commanded to live in shelters or booths. In fact, we had Jews for Jesus here one year, and they actually celebrated that event with us, and they set up tents, and you'll see out in the streets in in Israel, and even now, they'll have these just makeshift booths, and they'll put palm branches and things on it, they'll decorate it, and they'll live out there, and what it celebrates is how God took care of the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness, and they celebrate two things there. They celebrate the fire, which uh, God was the cloud by day and the fire by night, and then it also celebrates the water, the uh, crossing of the Red Sea. But also how God provided water for them for 40 years. Can you imagine that? 40 years of water, drink that they had. They never grew thirsty in the wilderness because Christ the rock followed them around watering them spiritually and physically. It's an amazing thing. Today you and I might be going through a little bit of a wilderness. In fact, turn real quick to First Corinthians chapter 10. If you're going through a rough time right now, this is a good day for you. You know, nothing you go through in life is accidental or incidental. Can I get an amen there? It's not a whoopsie in life. It's not, well, i got lucky numbers this week. Uh, What are my lucky numbers? Oh, no. It's a very purposeful, mindful understanding. Life is not about superstitions. It's about the plans and purposes of God. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 5. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. All of them did. In the cloud and in the sea, and all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. And all of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock, that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. I forgot that verse was even in the Bible. I was sharing that with Rod today. That rock that followed them around was the incarnate Christ taking care of them. That rock traveled with them. Now, I haven't done all the deep theological studies on that, but you think about that water. You know, there was how many millions of people? How many millions of people were there, Jim? About three million people were in the wilderness, okay? So let me tell you something today for you. If you're shaken by your search situations, where you're at, and you're out in the middle of the wilderness, if God was faithful to water and provide thirst-filling drink to people, He can provide for this little group of people, don't you think? He can take care of you. Here's what happened, though. God was not pleased with most of them. Turn to someone and say, it was most of them. And their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did of worship of idols as some of them did. As Scripture says, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in every pagan rivalry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Folks, let me tell you something where we're at in America right now and then I will get back to the provision of God. We can't ask for the blessing of God on a country that is literally doing its drinking and eating and living in all sorts of sexual immorality. We can't ask for the blessing of God if we refuse to follow the plan of God for our life. So I want you to picture here a booth. I should have set up that white tent up here. But think of that tent right there. Not a very big structure. In fact, when they were out in the wilderness... God protected them from the sun. The Bible says that their sandals lasted longer than everyone else's. Their clothing lasted longer than any other any other person's. Can't even talk this morning. But He was faithful to them. It was a booth, shelter, a tent. Now, how many would like to be under a tent in the middle of a tornado? I we had our men's camp out this year. It was funny. We saw that storm I told you about. There was that line of storms coming and everybody started batting and throwing their tents up. But here these people did not have big concrete structures or basements to hide in. They didn't have those kinds of things. All they could do is simply trust God that he would be faithful to them. That's all they had. And I want to tell you today that you might be feel like you've been stripped of everything, but here's what I want you to do is to get your confidence off of yourself. Get your confidence off of what you think you can do and how you can manage this and do that. And even your own giftedness. We, we count on ourselves so much. I want you to get back to the place of God being faithful that he wants to take care of you. Here's what's going to happen in all of that though. Here's where they started. They started in Egypt. Okay, Everyone knows they were slaves of Egypt. They had oppression. The Pharaoh did all that he did. But here was interesting, when they were going out to the wilderness, they got really mad at Moses, and they said, you left us to die here. Anybody ever said that to the Lord before? <laughs> we say it in our own way. Left us to die here, God. I just, oh. And they said, man, Egypt, at least we could eat our meals, and we had the, the fancy food that they had in Egypt. We don't have any of that out in here. We don't have any of that out in, in the wilderness. And some of us are stuck out in the wilderness, And we don't feel like we have what the world has. So we chase what the world has. We can see by our credit cards. We can see by the way we live. We can see by the way we work. We work ourselves to the bone to pay for more junk. In fact, we have Christmas coming up and we see those pictures you might have looked through in the past. How many of us are enjoying our presents from ten years ago at that Christmas? Do you even remember what you got ten years ago? drawn to a new place, Exodus 19.4 says this, I carried you on eagles' wings, and I brought you to myself. So here's what Christ is going to do for all of us. We think that God's going to bring us into this beautiful palace. Here, let me take you. This is all the enjoyment. We think life is about enjoying life. Eat, drink, and be merry. We buy those cute signs that... The stores, those thrift stores. Eat, drink, and be married. Here's the beautiful wines for you, and here's your leather sofa, Steve, my son. Why don't you celebrate and enjoy the luxuries of life? That's what we think life on earth is supposed to be. Come on. It proves by the way we live and how America thinks. And yet Christ revealed this to his followers and he said, you will have many trials and tribulations here on earth. If they hated me, they will hate you. Some of us have thought earth is our home. And there is a, we are the bride and he's the groom. And just like a bride is getting ready for her wedding day, So we, the church, the bride, are preparing ourselves not for great earth stuff, but for great heaven stuff. The greatest party yet to come, folks, is in heaven. I don't know if you realize that. The short time that you and I have here is not about this at all. It's for focusing our lives and our destinies and everything about us to the corridors of heaven. Turn to someone who's going to say, You got heaven on your mind. See, this new place is the place that Abraham dreamed of. It's the place that Moses dreamed of. He said, He gave up all the luxuries of Egypt because he wanted something more. And some of us today are mad because we don't have the luxuries of the world. Some of us are mad, some of us are where we're at, we're trying to chase the luxuries of the world, and go after the things of the world. And the Bible has nothing to do with that. Does it say that you might not have nice things? No. But our heart and our focus can't be on those things. They should mean nothing to us. That car that we're driving here that we all pulled into, in a few short years, you'll get rid of it, it will start rusting, you'll get a dent in it, and you won't like your car anymore, will you? To get to this new place and to be able to accept the booth, so to speak. Say, Pastor, what do I have to do? You're going to have to settle, spiritually speaking, to stand under the booth for a little bit. Because every one of us has been in those places, I myself included, have wandered out here trying to grab for those things and go after those things. And I have left the security of this booth. I didn't think that this booth would be enough covering for Steve Lapp. How many have been there before? Is this covering going to take me through the storms of life? But if God's the one who provided the booth for you in the middle of your homeless spirituality... See, before we came to Christ, we were homeless. Think of yourself that way. Think of yourself, spiritually speaking, as a homeless spiritual person. You were a wanderer. You were alone. You didn't have answers to life. You had no purpose. You had no drive. You chased after these things. You might have been addicted to different things in your life. You had these things and you were completely lost and lonely. We were dead in trespasses and sins. And Christ provides comfort and he says, come out from under the storm. He says, I am drawing you here. There's no sign there, there there's no light, there's no blow-up things, there's nobody spinning signs out front going, this booth is for you. Now we try that in church. And church tries to produce a booth for us, and then when we go out from underneath it, we realize it wasn't protection at all. But when we find relationship with Christ, He draws us to a place That we can only see with a spiritual eye. It's only a place that we can see in our heart of hearts. It's only a place where when we're looking at something, we're looking through it to something else. Christ is longing for followers that look beyond the the outside structures and look deep into the things of God for their life. Turn to someone and say, God has drawn you out. Drawn to a new place. Some of us have looked for experiences. I will be the first to tell you that I love experience. How many like a good experience? You know, there's that vital study, experiencing God. You need to experience God. You need to know Him. You need to have joy with Him. This is not just a theological, doctrinal, discourse relationship. Fooey, booey, mooey. But let us never seek experiences, but leave ourselves in the hand of God for Him to do as He pleases with us. Leading us in any path that he may choose, Jesse Penn Lewis writes. So you can't seek for that stuff, because here's what happens. It's kind of like either you're dating or you're married, and you go through those high points, and you go, wow, this is amazing. And then life gets humdrum. You smell your spouse's breath in the morning, and you go, this is a horrible experience. (laughs) See, they don't cover those things in the movies. They don't cover those topics in books. No, the reality is the majority of life is humdrum, normal things. The majority of your life with Christ is line upon line and precept upon precept. And you kind of go through those moments. And you'll have very joyful moments. And you'll have moments where you'll say, God, are you really there? You'll have moments where you go, God is definitely here. And you'll have moments where you'll say, am I even saved? But there's one thing you know is that there's shelter under the wing of the Almighty. There's one thing to know is that you can hide in the cleft of the rock. You might not feel anything there, but you can know and you can know and you can know the security of the believer and understand that I am grounded in Jesus Christ. To get to this new place and for a breaking free to occur, it's an amazing thing that happens. We need to break free from the need for this stuff. You know what? I've talked about this before, but what advertising has done and the power of influence for advertising and what what brings before our eyes and our five senses is we get to the place where we feel like we need something. And we really don't need it at all. And I think for many believers, we've gotten fat on things spiritually in our life and we said, you know what? I need to trim some things out of my life because I don't need this stuff. If you're going to enjoy the booth of God, Don't think for a moment you're not gonna have to let go of some things. You know, because here's how booths are, they're really simple. You know, when you're traveling, you can't take your whole house with you when you go on vacation. Some of us try to. I mean when I pack, I pack, try to pack for every contingency. So Anne Packs free. If I pack, I've got like if we go for three days, I'm packing for twelve days. Anybody pack like that? I I'm that type of person. She's very good at packing, and she's very good at organizing. And for me, man, I'm just like bringing it all in there. And so under this particular booth of dwelling, it's a really simple booth of dwelling. It doesn't require a whole lot of stuff. You're not going to have all the things there. You're not going to have room for all the stuff you think you need. So what God starts to do with your life and my life is he says, you don't need that stuff, stuff that you thought you needed. Turns around and says, you don't need that stuff. And I don't know what your stuff is that you need or don't need, God will figure that out for you, but he's going to start. If you let him, now you've got to let him. God won't do this automatically. You have this thing called free moral choice. You can choose today to get under the booth, or you can choose today to get out from under the booth. God will not drag you by your ear and get you back under the booth. Doesn't do it. Didn't do it for the prodigal of son. He won't do it for any of his sons or daughters. He will say, I'm right here. Come with me, and I'll place you where you need to go. Here's the thing that's going to have to happen. Jesse Penn Lewis says this, Have you learned to look at sin and everything that comes short of the glory of God as a wound to the heart of Jesus? Have you started to look at sin that way? That that look at sin and everything that comes short of the glory of God in our life as a wound to Jesus Christ? Because he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded. And we can still wound him with our life. We can hurt him. The Bible says to quench not the Holy Spirit. We can quench him with our life. So Jesse Penn Lewis charges us to say, have you learned to look at sin and anything falling short of God's glory as a wound to the heart of Jesus? That's a hard one. Because we don't even call it sin anymore. We don't even call it sexual immorality sexual immorality anymore. It's love. Here's what it is. True repentance is a change of mind. You're going to have to change your mind and say I want that booth more than I want the palace. That's going to be the weird switch. You're going to have to say I want the booth more than the palace right now. And I don't know what your palace is and what you've built up in your mind of what you thought this needs to be. Or what you think your life needs to be. But God's the one that's ordered your life. And God's the one that's planning your life. Not you planning your life. A change of mind is true repentance. John Deere writes, here's what we've done as Christians. We have learned to sorrow over the consequences of sin without forsaking its nature. We've learned to feel sorry for the consequences. How many are sorry afterwards, right? We just go there like, oh no, oh my goodness, I feel... Oh my goodness, I shouldn't have done that. That's horrible. But, you know, anyway, we're not sorry at all. We're, 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 We're sorry for what happened, the end result. But we really don't want to change. We're sorry over the consequences of sin without forsaking its nature. So what does the Spirit do? The Holy Spirit draws us out of all the junk into the wilderness. Jesus Right before he goes into ministry, guess where he was drawn? Into the wilderness. And he faced temptation with the devil himself. You're drawn into the wilderness, and now you start to face battles in your life you've never had before. You say, how do I get to the booth? It's going to be the biggest struggle of your life. Because once you find the booth, you find rest. Until you get to the booth, you will be in the biggest struggle for your life. And the enemy will throw everything at you. He will try to find any weakness in your life. He will try to take you out and say, don't get to the booth. It's better over here. Your life was way better. It was less confusing. There was less challenges. You didn't have to worry about all that stuff because you were taken care of over here. I was taking care of you. Just remember, folks, that the enemy is the God of this world, the Bible says. He's the God of this world. Today, for all of us, as we start walking and we start saying, God, I need your help, I need to get to that booth, I need to get under the covering of God, it comes to the place where you say, Lord, I need some help. You know, it's hard to ask for help, isn't it? I mean, truly, it's hard to ask for help. Every one of us wants to feel strong. One of the hardest things, isn't it? Isn't it the hardest thing in the world to get help financially from someone, if someone gives you something. Has anybody ever had a time in your moment, financially in your life, where just someone did something for you and it was really humbling? Okay, good, two people in here. It's hard to get help. It's hard to ask for help because we have to know it all. In the church, we're filled with know-it-alls. We all know it all. Staying under the shelter, John Bevere writes, How can you remain faithful to someone you don't know or even spend time with? And I think about that booth today and for Christ and what He's done for all of us. How can we stay under the covering of God? Let's just be real today and get past all the church tips and tricks. If we're not talking with God today, how do we stay close to Him? If we haven't picked up His Word... In six months, how do we know his character? If we're driving down the road and we never take a moment just to say, Lord, I just want to tell you that I love you. And again, you don't have to wait for the experience of it. Remember, all you just have to do is say it. You know, you're not going to say all the time. You tell your spouse you love him. I love you. I love you. I love you. You talk to him. But how can we remain faithful to someone we don't know or even spend time with? So we come to church, we do the church thing, and the pastor talks to God on our behalf. But that's not how the kingdom of God works. We come to church, and we do what church formulas tell us to do. But that's not how relationship with Christ works. See, how relationship with Christ works is He takes you and draws into yourself, and you start to do the hard work of saying, God, how do I know who you are? How do I know I can trust you? By learning His ways and studying the Word of God. That's the only way you can do it. It's the only way. Don't sign up for more stuff. Don't sign up for more of this. Don't sign up for how to fix my marriage tomorrow. Don't sign up for how to be better grades in school. Don't sign up for how I break this. What I want you to do this week is sign up for this. I am choosing to seek after God while He can be found. I am choosing this week to enter into the throne room of grace boldly because I am a believer in Jesus Christ and I identify myself with Him and I come under His coming once again and I start to open myself and become expressive to Him. Jesus isn't a formula to follow. By the way, your refusal to pray and to meditate on God's Word only hinders your relationship with God and others. By the way, it doesn't just hinder your relationship with God, it also hinders your relationship with others. Because you will relate to others how you relate to God. If you're very cold and calloused with God, you'll be very calculated and cold with people. And as you open yourself and become intimate with God and share God, your secrets, and start talking to Him, then you are okay and you're not insecure anymore and you start to open yourself up to others and you start to build each other up in your most holy faith. That's the idea of church. You and me building each other up on our most holy faith. Amen. Challenge you this week, talk to him. And I don't mean to talk to him like pointing your finger at him. I mean, Lord, seek in my heart, see if there's any sin right now that's hindering my relationship with you that's bruising you right now. Is there anything, God? Revelation 2.5 had this to offer if we're going to get to the booth. If we're going to get to the tent or the shelter, Revelation 2, 5 says, I've got this one thing against you. You've left your first love. I was talking to someone this week and they'd kind of gotten off the path. They said, and you know what? They said they started kind of going back to the things that they used to do. Remember what you used to do when you first fell in love with Christ? You were a crazy Christian, weren't you? Remember when you'd witness and talk to people? Rob was talking about today about that boldness. Remember, you'd be excited. You'd grab people. You'd pray. Remember that person! That person's still in you. Amen. That person's still there. It might not be dominant, but resident in you, in this boldness, in this understanding of what Christ has done. But this guy told me, he said, Steve, I got away from listening to scripture. And, you know, now when I drive around, i, I got sermons back up. I'm listening to things. I'm getting myself back around that stuff. Folks, if it worked before, it will work again. Now one thing I love about my wife is she's preparing for homeschool in the morning. She'll get her coffee because, you know, coffee, it's really important to be awake when you talk to the Lord. You know? Some people want to talk to the Lord and say, I'm going to fast for 36 years and I'm going to get up at 2 a.m. and start praying. Just start when you get up in the morning, okay? Don't worry about the big stuff. Just, can you just start talking? So grab the coffee, get downstairs, and you know what she'll do? She'll put her phone down and she'll put praise and worship on as she's starting to get the papers and the lessons going in the classroom for that day. And I so admire that for her, because I'll go downstairs, go into the shower, and I just hear her listening and that worship music going in the background, and Anne, through the Holy Spirit, is already setting a tone in the house. See, when you get under the booth, and you're communicating with the Savior, you're setting a tone. And see, the tone right now in our homes needs to be that. Our tone needs to change. And you say, man, it's just a horrible, I I hate my house and hate going there, all this. Create a new tone. Turn to someone and say, create a new tone. You're going to have to change this up. Because we all have habits, and we all have rhythms, and we all, like the children of Israel, which were given as an example of us, are always looking back in Egypt and seeing how powerful those people are, how much money they have, how successful they are, and how well they're doing, and I am staring at this four-post booth. What, God? You're setting the tone. You're not relying on that stuff anymore. You're relying upon the presence of God for your life. I've used this quote maybe a million times, but I want to say it again. Christ is revealed in very ordinary places. By the way, there was this article in the paper, maybe you saw it, it was one of these special inserts, it was talking about awe, uh, A-W-E, awe, okay? It was the concept of awe, and spiritually speaking, how one of the best things you can do to get back into the place of awe in your ordinary moments is, is to get off your dumb devices. This is not a Christian article, by the way, so you can't blame those Christians for preaching that stuff. But this couple, they were talking about this couple and they were arguing and talking and they were going on this walk and they finally got to the top of this hill and they both stopped. And they looked out over all the beautiful scene and all of a sudden they stopped arguing and all they could do was say, Isn't this amazing? You see, some of us are so set in our stuff and grabbing onto this and holding onto these things and... This is mine. and This is yours. And when we walk through the journey of Christ and when we open up and we look our eyes up to the hills, we start to say, God, you're awesome. They didn't argue anymore the rest of that trick. Want to stop arguing? Get your eyes off yourself and out onto the things of God. But the shelter is so basic, we say. Will it be enough? Will it hold up? Elizabeth Barrett Browning writes this, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush a fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes, the rest sit around and pluck berries. You know, every common bush a fire with God, and he who sees it, recognizes it, takes his shoes off because it's a holy place, And the rest of people sit around here going, well, what's going to happen next? And what's God going to do? And I don't know about this God thing. And I don't know how powerful He is to get me through this stuff. You have some common bushes right now in your life that are afire with God. And you are just not recognizing Him. One of the things that I do occasionally when I'm coming to the presence of God, I was here the other day, And right when I started praying, it registered in me, it wasn't something you have to do, but I literally just took my shoes off and I just started walking through the place and I said, God, I'm standing on holy ground right now. Some of you right now in your homes, that same carpet that you've got the milk spills on, maybe you've got the same carpet with the dog doo-doo, that doo-doo there the other day. Guess what? That common place is where the presence of God is at. Are our homes filled with the presence of God right now? Not church, not more busy stuff. I'm talking about the presence of God, the simplicity of the spiritual shelter that we understand that we're going through a wilderness in this world right now. We're going through a wilderness, but we're staying under the covering or the canopy of God, and we're following Him wherever He takes us. It might be common to some folk, but it's very uncommon to you. It's very special to you. Ordinary places. Turn to someone real quick and say, that place you live isn't so ordinary. Mark Batterson wrote in his book, one name for God in rabbinical literature is this it's called the place. God is here, God is there, God is everywhere. God being the place. In other words, wherever you are, God is. Because you know why? We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And out from among us becomes rivers of living water bursting forth. What a beautiful thing. Mark Batterson wrote, I think we underestimate the interconnection between geography and spirituality. And part of the reason is that we worship God in man-made buildings that keep us insulated from the elements. We sit in the same padded pew, week in and week out, listening to the stories about Jesus calming the winds and the waves. The disciples had a totally different experience. They were in the boat on the lake when the skies grew dark and hurricanes' winds started to blow. They walked beaches, climbed mountains, and trekked across the mountains with Jesus. Their experience was four-dimensional, while ours is one-dimensional. So when we read the Bible, we tend to focus on theology, overlooking the meteorology and the psychology and even the geology that shapes the stories that we read. Folks, allow God's presence to kind of enter and permeate your life. So often we just focus on the theology, as opposed to the ever-present help in time of trouble, God working in our lives right now. Allow God's presence to be enough. Folks, when you're going through chaos, let His presence be enough. When you're barely making it, let His presence be enough. When life is overwhelming, let His presence be enough. One of the things I'll do when I pray, you want to get your mind off yourself, Talk about God. I will shout back to God who He is. I will name things about God. See, your shelter that you need is different than my shelter. There are certain things I need God to be in my life that you don't need Him to be for you right now. You need God to be certain shelters for you, and I need God to be certain shelters for me. That's the beautiful thing. God meets you right where you're at, where your need is. So if you need God to be a provider for you, then let Him be the provider. If you need love right now in your life and you need acceptance, guess what? You get under the shelter of the love and acceptance of Christ. If you need forgiveness, Christ offers forgiveness and there's a shelter of forgiveness for you. He is enough. And you might have to shout it from the mountaintops. You might have to go back home And open up your index, or type in Google, names for God. And you will find countless thousands of applications and verses that you can use and declare the glory of God. You know why? So that you can get your mind off yourself. And get it back on God. Psalm 55.22 says, give your burdens to the Lord, and He will take care of you. He didn't say, I will take your burdens from you. What's the application here for all of us? The faith application is this, is that we give our burdens to the Lord. See, a lot of us, we have a tug-of-war with God. We pray about it. Pastor, I prayed about it, but I'm still... Just let it go. We got a prayer. We say, man, God, take care of this, take care of that. And we're still talking with the same tone that we used before we even started praying about it. We're, we're giving it to God, but we say, God... Let's share this together. God's like, I'm not sharing your burden with you. You either give me all your burden or none of it at all. And that's a hard thing, isn't it? When he says to take care of, he means to maintain, to nourish, to provide food, to bear up, to hold, to protect, to support, to defend, to supply the means necessary for living. Ultimately, it means to to be whole, to help. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, Oh, it's a happy way of smoothing sorrow when we can say we will wait only upon God. Oh, ye agitated Christians, do not dishonor your religion by always wearing a brow of care. Have you ever seen Christians who have just got that brow of care on them? Oh, this Christian stuff really hard. Oh, man, I'm just going through a hard time, Pastor. It's so hard. Nobody wants what you got. Oh, it's hard stuff. Really, really just grinding it out here. i This just You know, the Lord's presence is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Joy. You know, this Feast of Booths, by the way, do you know how they ended the celebration of the booths and living under the shelter as far as the joy of the Lord being our strength right now? Do you know what they did? They would actually joyfully shout. They would dance. They would sing. And they would celebrate. It wasn't because all their lives were put together. They were celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ is the one who takes care of them and gets them through every storm in life. Don't chase after those things. Don't be always wearing a brow of care. Cast your burden on the Lord. I see you staggering beneath the weight with which he could not feel. What seems to you to be a crushing burden would be to him as a small dust of balance. See, the Almighty bends his shoulders and he says, Here, put your troubles here. Put them there. Don't chase after those things. Real quick, turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Matthew 6. Said this, don't worry about these things saying, What will we eat? And what will we drink? Or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. You know, they said those things, and we say that man, what am I going to eat? What are we going to have? What are we going to wear? It's funny how we look at our closet and you, you get there and you get frustrated. Has anybody been like this before? You look in your closet and you're like, I have nothing to wear! And you're looking at like 25 shirts and 16 pair of pants. You've got nothing to wear! <laughs> Another translation says the heathens live like this. The world does this. And we start to chase after these things, and we realize that they're not fulfilling at all. And he says a very key secret here, and you want the secret right now to your life, and living under the shelter for your life, he says, make the kingdom of God your priority. We've built our kingdoms long enough. You know, I I, I listened to one of the guys we work with contract with, and we were talking to him, we were talking about the new opportunities out there, and as he was walking, I caught something that he said, and I said, how sad. And he said something to the tune of, I said, Boy, it's great, you know, get these contracts and things going great. He said, Well, yeah, he said, I gotta keep working. He said, I gotta keep piling money up till I don't need to pile it up anymore. And I said, You know, we, we listen to that talk and we say, Man, that, that's horrible. But that's kind of how we live. We try to pile our money up. As opposed to living with a kingdom-mindedness of saying, God, what do you want me to do with my money? The money that you provided for me, what you've given to me, how you've blessed me. How can I return? What can I do? Folks, I challenge you to be kingdom-minded. I challenge you to be prayerful about what it is and how God's blessed you and says, do something with this, go after that. Maybe you start adopting families and start pouring your life out. Maybe you take out of your closet. I've heard Joyce Meyer say this once where God really corrected her. She has brand new dress and God says, go give it to that person. She said, that's my brand new dress. I was going to give my old stuff away. I says, no, I want you to give your new stuff away. Man, why don't we think differently real quick and start to give some things out that we normally wouldn't do and start to be kingdom minded once again. It's kind of like the story of the man who said, he got to a place where he said, well, man, I'm doing good, my barns are filled, I'll go go build another one and go store more stuff out. And he didn't even realize that his life was required of him. All that money for what? All the stuff for what? I want my children to be kingdom-minded. And even when we tell them to give, they're not giving to turning point. They're giving to the work of the Lord. We tell them, what are you? We ask them this. We don't tell them what to give. We say to them, what are you giving to Jesus? What are you giving to Jesus? Because it's a gift. It's a worship. What are you giving to Him? Think about it. Because if you won't let go of the little money you have now... You will never let go of the big money that you might have later. Whomever God trusts with little, he will make you ruler over much. If you will not trust God with the little things, then when the big things happen and then God says, I want you to do something with that big thing, you say, no way, Jose." Are we like the pagans? And what concerns me in our culture today is that we're like the pagans and we live our lives how the pagans live and we buy how the pagans live, we talk how the pagans live, we live how the pagans live. And the Western Christians are in a really bad spot because we have to start focusing our lives completely different. And these last days, we become so full of ourselves, we can't even enjoy the shelter that God has provided. It's really easy to get off focus. And for me, I'll always say when I'm tucking the kids into bed, Lord, thank you for the home that you've given to us. Thank you for what you've blessed us with. Thank you for the blankets. Thank you for the clothes. Thank you for everything that you've given to us. Dwight L. Moody said this, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. Folks, I don't want to be full of myself. But if Steve wants to get under the covering, I'm going to have to be a person that's empty-handed and says, God, nothing I have is of my own. I want to give myself to you today. In every age here today, you offer to God that. You say, God, I have nothing to offer you. Nothing. But all I can give you right now today is me. And God will take and do something in you. And this is the key I want to wrap up really quickly. When you get to that hut, don't abandon it. Don't abandon that hut. Don't abandon that place that God has for you. Jude one twenty four says, And now unto all glory of God, who is able to keep you from stumbling, who is able to bring you into His glorious presence, innocent of sin, with great joy. You know, when we get out from under ourselves... And when we start to walk that place out in the middle of the wilderness feeling homeless, God gets to a place where he says, I will make you innocent of the sin that you had committed in your life. Innocent. Do you know as a believer in Jesus Christ's day, you are considered innocent before God. Isn't that a really neat thing? There's this judgment that is going to be coming, folks, and it's really good to be on the side of the bench called mercy and grace. I want to tell you this and end with this. Sandra, if you want to come up here and start playing. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment? Some of us felt hindered from getting to our booth. You say, man, I've I tried going down there but this person stopped me and that stopped me. We. We've become a victim, even trying to travel to get to the booth, saying, I can't make it to the booth. can't make it to the shelter. John Bebeer said this, and it woke me up. It says, no man or demon can stop the plan of God for your life. Nobody can. Nobody has ever had the power to stop God's plan for your life. No one had that power in them. So we can't blame people from getting to our path." Dare I remind us of the story of Joseph who sat in a pit for years. He said, you intended to harm you. God intended good. God will get you to the place you need to be. And people might have intended to harm you. The situations that the enemy has thrown at you have tried to trip you up. But keep going to that shelter. It's way better than anything the world can ever offer you. And I dare challenge you today to say, listen, if you're going to say you're a Christian, then start to live your life in such a way to where you depend upon the power of Christ and that you pray and that you dive into God's Word even though you may not understand it all. You never will understand it. You will never get to a place where you're completely competent. That there is a fire that will lead you and guide you that booth. There is a fire that will take you to the place you're supposed to go. And He will sustain you with water. Jesus Christ Himself will give you spiritual water and will take care of you and get to your final destination. Today, I first want to cover this. Is that today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... You can know a comfort like you've never had before. You can have the burden lifted. You can have the junk of your heart lifted off. And you can have a freedom and a joy because you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. There's only one name under heaven by which man must be saved, the Bible declares. And that's Jesus Christ. The name above every name. Today you might have been leaning into things and relationships and people. People. And today, you've heard about Christ. And you want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. Heck, you might have been in church for the past 15 years and heard the same thing. It hasn't hit you. And today, you want to know Christ as your Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed, why don't you just raise your hand. I want to pray with you today. Today, dear Christian, you've seen the booth. God's trying to draw you to that. And maybe it's been a little bit of a tug of war. And you're wondering if this booth, if this shelter is going to be enough right now through this wilderness. Is is God going to be enough? And this is specifically to that where you've run all over this and you've chased all over that and you've worried about this. And God is simply saying, come back under my protection. Trust me, I will provide safety for you like you've never known before. And it doesn't mean that everything around you is going to go rosy, great. It simply means that you are in a safe space. Today, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you, dear one, as you come back under the shelter. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. I'm coming back under the shelter. Why don't we all pray this together, dear Jesus? I thank you for your love for me and that you take care of me. And Lord, I'm giving you my burdens. I'm giving you the stuff I'm worrying about. I'm choosing to trust in you and that little shelter that's out there in the desert. It's going to be plenty for me. Because you're there. If God is for me, who can be against me? I thank you, God, that I am victorious today through your strength. Father, I thank you today for the work you've done in our hearts. And I pray, Father, that the church here in America would come and glow with you. And that we wouldn't live like the heathens, Father. Our mind wouldn't be on the things that the heathens had their minds on. But our minds would be kingdom-focused. That our hearts would be turned to, God, what do you want to do in my life? What's your plan for my life right now? What, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to change? What do you want me to focus on, God? And ultimately, just enjoying who he is, his company, his presence, because the common things in our life have come ablaze. And the tempo in our homes have changed. And the focus in our home has changed. We thank you, God, for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you folks very much. Maybe we should all live out in uh, tents this week. What do you think? We could live out in the know. Love you guys. Have an awesome, awesome week and a great day celebrating. Love you very much.